Welcome to Teleforum, a podcast of the Federal Society's practice groups. I'm Dean Reuter, Vice President, General Counsel, and Director of Practice Groups at the Federal Society. For exclusive access to live recordings of practice group Teleforum calls, become a Federal Society member today at fedsoc.org. Hello and welcome to this Federal Society virtual event. My name is Jack Derwin, and I'm Associate Director of Practice Groups here at the Federal Society. Today, we're excited to host a Courthouse Steps discussion on today's oral arguments and National Pork Producers Council v. Ross, featuring Mr. Ilya Shapiro. Ilya is currently a Senior Fellow and Director of Constitutional Studies at the Manhattan Institute. Previously, he was Executive Director and Senior Lecturer at the Georgetown Center for the Constitution, and before that, a Vice President of the Cato Institute and Director of Cato's Robert A. Levy Center for Constitutional Studies. I'll keep his intro there for now, but feel free to visit our website at fudsoc.org to view his full bio. After Ilya's presentation, we'll go to audience Q&A. Please enter any questions into the Q&A function at the bottom right of your Zoom window. Finally, I'll note that as always, all expressions of opinion on today's program are those of our guest speaker. With that, Ilya, the virtual floor is yours. Thanks, Jack, and it's good to be with you all. Uh, this was a fascinating and long uh, argument. I wanna emphasize long, it went two hours and 12 minutes I mean, that's, uh, that's like two arguments uh, in, the, in the before times. Uh, and nobody can complain that they didn't have their views uh, fully entertained by the justices, I think. There were four counsel arguing that also extended uh, the time. I'll, I'll take those up as, as we go through the way argument work. Uh, I'll put the bottom line up front. Uh, I mean, you're, 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 you're getting uh, uh, the value of my prediction is about uh, what you paid for it, but um, this could be one of these left and right against the middle sort of decisions where if you're uh, uh, into the dormant commerce clause or the national pork producers versus Ross case uh, enough to be listening to this, then uh, you know that uh, justices Thomas and Gorsuch are skeptical to say the least of the dormant commerce clause. Uh, well, in addition to them at this argument, the three justices, uh, the other three justices most skeptical were those on the left, uh, Kagan, Sotomayor and Jackson. So uh, I, I think California wins is my prediction. Again, worth what you're paying for it. Uh, either five or six, maybe seven uh, uh, in the majority. But uh, the strongest ones, as I said, are Gorsuch and Thomas and, and, then, and then the three uh, on the left. Uh, the strongest probably pro-challenger was, um, was Justice Alito. Uh, and then I think Kavanaugh and, uh, and Roberts in there as well. Barrett was uh, hard, to, hard to read. So that, that's, that's where my uh, overall prediction lies, but more important than that, because again, that, you, know, you can't really take that to the bank, uh, but fascinating discussion uh, of issues. So first, uh, Mr. Bishop, the lawyer for the pork producers who are saying that California's law that um, uh, uh, regulates uh, the amount of space that's to be given to breeding sows, uh, and the argument goes would uh, impose substantial burdens on almost entirely out-of-state pork producers thereby, that that violates the Dormant Commerce Clause. That, that's California regulating extraterritorially. Uh, and so Justice Thomas uh, led off that that is now the court's practice. The uh, Justice, Justice Ginsburg was almost always the first out of the gate. Now Justice Thomas is the senior uh, associate justice, uh, typically goes first. Uh, and he is asking questions at, at most arguments, which is also a change. Uh, so he asked, when is a regulation impermissibly uh, extraterritorial. He wanted just the, the basic 
rule that the challengers were looking for? And the answer was that when the regulation applies to out-of-state production, uh, and th throughout this, this would be a theme throughout the course, one of the themes throughout the course of the argument, uh, that, for example, something like labeling uh, or something else that uh, is post-production is much easier to deal with. It's either de minimis or it doesn't uh, affect having to trace back to where something, you know, the, the very first widget, or in this case, breeding sow uh, in the process lies, which is difficult to do uh, in the pork industry because different cuts come from different uh, states and, and um, uh, hard to trace uh, that way. Um, so uh, Justice Kagan followed that up by saying, you know, anytime a rule changes uh, a manufacturing process, uh, and there was this discussion of exactly the, the under the Pike balancing test uh, a case from 1970. Does this mean that uh, you know any burden is uh, is is significant? Well, and the answer is well, there's a there's a, there's a balance there. It depends on on how strong the interest uh, of the state that the state is uh, asserting. Um, and uh, the challenger would not back down from this idea that whenever there's a, a state is controlling out-of-state operations, that's the uh, important part. Justice Kagan pressed on this and said, well, what if this was Wyoming or, or Rhode Island passing a law? You know, presumably it's easier to just exit those markets. They're not that significant. California here, even though it's uh, the, the production is negligible of pork, it is uh, consuming something like 15% uh, you know, of, of national pork. So that's not insignificant. But what about Wyoming or Rhode Island? And the answer was, uh, legally speaking, there would be uh, no difference. Um, Justice Gorsuch jumped in uh, and, you know, we all knew what to expect, that he would uh, probably be, uh, ironically, or, you know, again, the case showing uh, odd bedfellows, if you will, he'd be uh, favoring California here uh, because uh, he's asking the challengers, are you expecting us to apply a freewheeling balancing test to protect liberty? Something like Lochner. Now, I'd expect uh, Chief Justice Roberts to uh, invoke Lochner, uh, the specter of Lochner in a negative way, but not Gorsuch, who uh, in other circumstances, at least when it comes to the positive Commerce Clause, is skeptical of, of congressional um, uh, interference with, with economic liberty of, of, of different kinds. But regardless, here he uh, came out of the, the gate with that. Uh, and uh, before they began their opening, this was still in the freewheeling portion of the argument. Again, the new argument format is they have this, um, you know, they can interrupt each other, although they're interrupting each other a lot less than they were before. Uh, but anybody can ask questions. Uh, and then after that, they go in order of seniority to see if there's any additional uh, questions. So the last one in the free-for-all was Justice Sotomayor. Um, uh, and she asked, uh, well, what about, uh, you know, is this really a, a morality regulation about uh, animal cruelty uh, or is it a health regulation? Some people believe, there's an amicus brief, uh, that closer confinement uh, leads to less helpful, healthful pork and disease transmission, these kinds of concerns. Uh, and the reply there, well, first of all, this is a motion to dismiss, not, not an evidentiary question. And it seems like California is leaning more on morality uh, uh, anyway. Um, what about alternatives? This would come up less burdensome alternative. For example, labeling. Justice Barrett brought this up. Why is labeling okay as the challenger is conceded? And again, the answer is it doesn't affect operations. It's a post-production or marketing uh, sort of uh, issue. Um, and also uh, the, the another major theme of the argument came out that the challengers were saying that uh, morals regulations can't count um, uh, as a state interest, unlike health and safety. 
Uh, we can't have states uh, asserting interest to regulate what's going on other, or affecting other states significantly uh, when it's on the basis of morality rather than health and safety, which of course leads to the um, perhaps uh, a paradoxical conclusion that a complete ban uh, on a product here, pork, would be okay. Uh, but a um, but a, a, a regulation of this kind that would impose costs uh, uh, would would not be. Does not the the greater include uh, the lesser? Um, and um, uh, that was a fairly nuanced argument about the nature of the regulation versus the the relative burden. And and if you know if California thinks uh, if, you know that 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 pork is bad or a particular type of product is bad, it can. Uh, certainly exercises police power in that way, but that doesn't have such a significant out-of-state uh, uh, impact on uh, on operations. Uh, and it came out that California might have had a strong, might have a stronger case. I think Justice Alito uh, asked this question: if um, uh, um, there were insignificant in-state producers, because then it would be uh, effectively an anti-discrimination uh, or, or, or a level playing field regulation if it subjected the in-state producers to uh, these kinds of um, uh, regulations about how you raise sows, then uh, you want to have a level playing field. But that's that's not this case. Um, then the U.S. government, the uh, the, the deputy attorney, uh, the deputy solicitor general, uh, Ed Needler, and here the the Biden administration is, to, is is supporting the challengers again against California. One of those rare cases because it doesn't want the quote balkanization of the national economic union. Um, Justice Thomas asked, well, wouldn't you avoid this problem by just having national legislation to the same effect? And the answer was yes, Congress can do this. But of course, that doesn't answer the question because that's the whole uh, crux of the, the inverse commerce clause. Uh, Congress could have this kind of agricultural regulation. It has chosen not to. Uh, what is the significance of that? Um, uh, uh, Justice Alito asked, uh, probed further this question about safety versus morality and asked about what about applying these kinds of regulations to Mexico or Canada? And the response was, well, um, that might implicate the foreign commerce clause or violate certain treaties that the United States has. And of course, treaties being part of uh, uh, federal law, Trump uh, state law to the contrary. Justice Kagan asks an interesting hypothetical about uh, you know, pre-Civil War days before the 13th Amendment. Uh, what if a state had a regulation saying no product that's been produced by slavery uh, can, be, uh, can be sold uh, in the states? Uh, or what about uh, a ban on, on horse meat? Um, you know, we're, we're okay with that. Certain states uh, uh, ban that. Um, but this is a, a lesser uh, uh, regulation. And this, you know, a lot of interesting hypotheticals here. Um, uh, later on, there was, you know, the, 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 the Texas versus California battle. Let's say that Texas had a rule that uh, no fruit can be sold in the state that's been handled by people who are in the country illegally. Ultimately, California's council conceded that that might be uh, okay, uh, because there, there might be a state interest uh, that's particular for that. California might not like that, uh, but it would, uh, uh, the California Solicitor General, Michael uh, Mongan, conceded that that was uh, uh, okay. Um, how unusual is this law, and does that matter? Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Barrett uh, asked that uh, repeatedly. Uh, and the answer here is that uh, it is pretty unusual because 
Uh, it's uh, a moral regulation that significantly affects, uh, has an extra significant extraterritorial effect. And moreover, if this is upheld, then that would invite uh, further attempts to regulate uh, uh, other states. So if, if this law falls, the answer was not too many uh, other laws would have to fall. Uh, none could be identified, perhaps. Uh, but if it's upheld, then that might uh, invite more uh, regulations of other states on uh, various kinds of uh, morals uh, grounds. Um, that led to an interesting discussion ultimately with the lawyer for the Humane Society. That, that's the fourth council. Uh, it's rare that an amicus for a non-sovereign, for not a state or the, or the Solicitor General's office, gets to argue. But here we have the Humane Society. And um, uh, an interesting uh, part came out here from Justice Barrett, who asked what moral morality is, or followed up on Justice Thomas, who asked, how would you define immoral or a, um, a cognizable state interest in morality? And Justice Barrett said, you know, let's, let's dig deeper on that. Uh, does it have, is it, is it kind of a parallel to substantive due process, she said, deeply rooted in our nation's uh, history and traditions? And uh, uh, the answer was, well, you have to look at the closeness of the fit of the moral interest to the regulation. But ultimately, at one point, the uh, 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 Mr. Lampkin, the Council for the Humane Society, Humane Society, said that indeed there's a difference between uh, deeply rooted, uh, 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 you know, long recognized cultural traditions and something that's that's new. Justice Leto said, hold on a second. Are you really saying that old morality is okay, but new morality is not, at least for purposes of an, of an interest that can uh, survive uh, dormant commerce clause uh, analysis? And, you know, my view is that that in, indeed is um, kind of interesting, uh, transposing that uh, unsatisfying substantive due process standard onto um, uh, questions of federalism and uh, this uh, you know, heterodox consideration of uh, the dormant commerce clause. Um, Justice Kagan at one point asked whether uh, the idea was you have an anti-leveraging principle is the idea that uh, as long as a state is passing laws for its own, you know, sincere interests and isn't trying to leverage its own power uh, to affect national change, uh, that's okay. Um, Justice Thomas uh, earlier, but this kind of goes into this discussion, asked whether it matters if the if the if the extraterritorial effect is the real purpose uh, of the legislation uh, or whether it's just a collateral effect. And of course, here, Prop 12 was a state referendum. So who knows what each individual voter or a plurality of them, uh, why they wanted to uh, require these kinds of regulations for uh, you know, raising livestock? Was it uh, concerns about health, whether based in science or not? Uh, or was it a morality, uh, animal cruelty uh, related uh, interest? Lots of line drawing issues here. A lot of them are, are very tough as, as Justice Kavanaugh especially drew out with, with various kinds of uh, uh, hypotheticals. Um, uh, or as Justice Alito put uh, later on to the California's SG, uh, what if a state says we simply don't want products produced in an immoral way? And that morality could include, you know, Oregon saying the workers don't have a certain level of health insurance. Another state saying that we uh, 
don't want it produced by workers who are not vaccinated. Uh, another state, you know, the Texas example, we don't want uh, produced by people who are in the country illegally. All sorts of different things that could be uh, uh, counted on as as morals legislation. I, I'm not sure. Um, you know, this doesn't change my bottom line. Uh, prediction uh, that California is likely to win, but what kind of standard the justices uh, are likely to draw is is very uh, unclear because it, it does seem that none of them were satisfied with the um, the rule of, of of law that that either side or that any of the four sides, I suppose, was uh, proposing. At one time, Justice Kavanaugh asked uh, whether uh, the California Solicitor General wants Pike and that balancing test to be overturned for some sort of clear rule, and he said no. Um, so I don't know. The conventional wisdom going into this argument, uh, uh, and I shared this, was that they were going to use this case to uh, to. Uh, change the Pike standard to have some sort of clear delineation between state laws that violated the Dormant Commerce Clause and those that didn't. Uh, this seems to be a period where the court is reconsidering a lot of precedent from the, uh, the, the gaudy legal wallpaper of the 1970s, as I've put it uh, uh, elsewhere. Uh, but I don't know uh, what the ultimate uh, standard or rule of decision uh, will be here. But again, it does look like there are at least five votes to uphold the California uh, uh, regulation um, because it's not it's neither uh, discriminatory against other states uh, facially, you know, a, a tariff style trade barrier, uh, nor is there a way of of drawing a line between a, a permissible and an impermissible uh, morals regulation. Um, the uh, the concluding, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this, um, and that's uh, the final statement from the rebuttal by the challengers uh, when asked or, or saying that you know if if the challengers don't win, this would bring us back to pre to the pre convention pre constitutional convention picture of balkanized markets that destroys the twin purposes of the Commerce Clause, which is to maintain the national economic union and territorial sovereignty of the states. Uh, I certainly agree with that sentiment. Uh, I actually, I should have uh, disclosed this sooner. I filed a brief at the cert stage on uh, the Cato Institute's behalf, urging the court to take up the case and clarify the Dormant Commerce Clause. Uh, but in any event, um, uh, I think I'll leave things there and I'm happy to, uh, to take the questions uh, that you might have, but really uh, a fascinating argument. And I hope I did uh, at least a decent justice to um, what went longer than, than two hours, as I said. Thanks so much, Ilya. Very impressive view to keep that to about 20 minutes, given the length of the arguments. And so we have a few questions coming in. I'll remind our audience, you can enter questions um, in the bottom right of your screen using the Q&A function. So we have one here. Did anyone advert to the current practice of California setting more restrictive standards for automotive car specifications and pollution controls? Also seasonal blends of gasoline and retail sales. Might this case affect those concurrent California regulations that influence national markets? Yeah, this is from, from Ted Cooperstein. It says on my screen, hi, Ted. Um, uh, the emission standards did come up uh, and uh, the challenger, the challengers were questioned about this, and they distinguished it by saying that, well, you know, pollution crosses state lines and, and affects everyone directly. That's a health and safety regulation. It's different from a morals regulation. Uh, didn't get into the specifics about seasonal blends or car specifications, but just the general point uh, about, you know, perhaps uh, something extraterritorial that California is best known for uh, its emission standards. Uh, and so uh, uh, that was that was that point. And I'll take the next question that's popped up here. 
from uh, Solvay uh, uh, Singleton, who asks, was there any discussion of how these principles might apply to state internet regulation? California's internet privacy law also potentially has a considerable effect in other states. The short answer to that is no. Uh, Wayfair came up briefly in passing. That's the uh, the case a few years ago about um, taxation of businesses that don't have any physical presence in a state. Uh, but that was mostly a taxing power uh, case or, I mean, the, the dormant commerce clause issues work uh, a little differently because, um, you know, they are selling uh, products into the state. It's not trying to regulate sales, uh, uh, you know, that are, that are purely uh, out of, or operations that are purely out of state. Uh, but other than those couple of fleeting references to Wayfair, there was not discussion of internet regulation. Um, then we have Alan Char uh, Charles, who asks, what importance, if any, does the fact that the California regulation was adopted through voter referendum rather than by the California legislature or executive regulation? That's a really good question. And I mentioned one place where it came up where uh, uh, I think it's Justice Thomas asked, uh, does it matter um, uh, what the purpose was or, um, or uh, whether we can even tell uh, what the purpose is? Because um, uh, or does it matter whether it's the, you know, the, 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 the impact is felt because that's the, that's the purpose of California or just because it's a, it's a collateral consequence. And, uh, there, there was a bit of a, you know, discussion of how, um, you know, the, with, with a referendum, who knows what the purpose is, even to the extent we care about, uh, legislative, uh, uh intent or legislative history. Um, but, but, but short of that, uh, it, it, the, the course, the, the argument was not parsing the difference between laws adopted by referendum versus legislation versus, uh, executive regulation. Next question from Robert Crutcher, uh, was there discussion of whether California may bar California sale of goods, not manufactured under Cal OSHA rules? I don't think so. I'm sort of mentally thinking through the various hypotheticals uh, that were asked. I don't remember OSHA rules. I mean, that's kind of subsumed by other questions about states, uh, you know, regulating um, health and safety, I suppose. But that's the, um, uh, they weren't asked specifically about working conditions. I mean, there were, there were, there was a couple of questions about uh, either right to work or other worker rights guarantees, right to work, of course, being that you don't have to join a union uh, and can, can states draw those kinds of rules. Um, and, and the, you know, the, the not really a satisfactory uh, uh, answer. Of course, the challenger said no, because that's even, you know, that's even a, a greater intrusion than, than what this might be. Uh, and the, uh, the, the state said that, uh, uh, well, you have to kind of state kind of hemmed and hawed and said, you have to look at the, um, uh, the operation of the, um, uh, of the regulation versus the strength of the state's interests, but, uh, no, no clear, uh, discussion there. Uh, Steven, I assume this is Vaden, but it, it went into dot to shorten your name for some reason, this Q and a screen that I'm looking at anyway, uh, two questions. One, did anyone note that under California's law, California sends inspectors to other states to enforce Prop 12. If so, what the, what effect did that have on the justices' reasoning? That was brought. That, that was one of the you know got a lot of play in in some of the editorializing about the case beforehand, uh, and that was only mentioned in 
um, the challengers council's opening statement. Other than that, uh, that did not seem to play a role, which was surprising to me, to be honest. And second, did the fact that this case was dismissed at the motion to dismiss stage come into play, given the fact heavy nature of the Pike balancing test? Yes, that definitely came up uh, certain times when Justice Sotomayor was talking about scientific uh, evidence and the response was, well, we, we're not even there. This is motion to dismiss. Justice Jackson also perhaps showing her experience as a as a trial judge, as a district judge, did talk about the motion to dismiss stage and how we're supposed to look at only at the four corners of the complaint. So I think that may well play a role in how uh, this is decided. That is, uh, to the extent California wins that I'm predicting, it won't be because it's it's brought evidence to support uh, uh, a particular uh, uh, claim of, of interest. Um, well, that relates right into the next question by Tom Palmer. Was there scientific evidence on the pain of pigs? Uh, and there wasn't too much, uh, you know, you know, wasn't dueling uh, brief so much, but it, this came uh, to the end of the opening line of questioning of uh, Mr. Bishop, the, the, the pork producers council, when Justice Sotomayor talked about the health effects and there was reference to dueling, um, dueling amicus briefs that were uh, submitted. Um, but beyond that, um, uh, I, I think at one point it was asked, you know, should we, you know, do we decide this based on the strength of the evidence? And the answer was no, it's motion to dismiss state. Um, Eric Lipman asks, uh, for members of the society or, you know, listeners, uh, who observe, uh, the kosher dietary laws, would a victory by California in this case, presumably authorize a state to ban ritual slaughtering of livestock on animal cruelty grounds. Well, that's interesting. It might depend who you ask. The Humane Society of all places um, might have said no, because that's uh, deeply rooted, uh, uh, whereas California might say it would allow the state to do it because that's a matter of state power. I'm not sure. Um, uh, for practical purposes, I'm not sure either, because it depends really on how the court write, writes its uh, uh, opinion uh, under pike balancing, who knows? It depends what kind of judge you get on any given day. Uh, so that's why I really hope whoever wins um, that they do clarify uh, the test. Jack Snyder asks, thanks for your insights as always. You're welcome. Uh, do you think the petitioners could have more success in future challenge if they can show on an as-applied basis that the California pork law has the effect of increasing prices on consumers in the other 49 states. Now, the issue of price did come up. Is uh, price uh, 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 impact enough to show uh, a burden under pike balancing? Uh, is it a matter of, well, the price you know, burden has to be significant uh, or is just an increase in price? Is that enough extraterritorial effect to endanger the law? Um, and, um, un unclear. I mean, it wasn't touched on too much. Um, the focus of the challengers was that it affected regulations, uh, operations, sorry, cause this is the pork producers, uh, uh, after all, uh, the, the United States focused on the national market, national union, uh, an economic union issue. So, you know, we didn't have a, a consumer's representative or, um, you know, a, a public interest organization, perhaps, uh, they would have been focusing on that. Uh, but there, there was some discussion. We'll see if um, how uh, price increases as opposed to uh, interference with manufacturing processes or operations, how that uh, affects the analysis. Clark Forsyth asks, do you see implications of this case for state 
extraterritorial enforcement of their criminal law, such as prostitution or sexual trafficking or abortion. That's interesting. Um, you know, it did come up. States can ban things uh, that they don't like. Um, you know, some states legalize marijuana now. Some states still ban it completely. Um, neither of those is a dormant commerce clause issue. Um, um, let's see. And I don't know what the rule would be, how this would come up. Someone commits a crime. I mean, it would be extraditing someone to a state where something is criminal, where it's not, where they're apprehended. That would be more of a choice of law issue, I suppose, and a, and a compact clause than a dormant commerce clause issue. So off the top of my head, just, just looking at this, I can't, um, I can't give it to you right here. The criminal stuff like that uh, or, or, or you know, morality regulation certainly came up again in the sense of production, commerce clause related stuff. You know, we, you know, workers, we don't, you know, and you can imagine, you know, at one point Kavanaugh said, I can give you plenty of examples of social issues where, you know, a state wants to enforce its, its view of, of morality, whether with respect to, uh, um, you know, he didn't give this one, but I suppose in, in light of this question, you know, we don't we don't want this to be made in a place where workers don't have easy access to abortion. Um, but that's not the criminal law. Right. That's you, you get to then, uh, you know, the propriety of morals regulation and I guess the closeness of the tie of the asserted state interest to the um, to the burden imposed on, on other states under under pike balancing again before they rewrite the standard to whatever it will be. Um, Brad Silvernail says, could you say which justices you will be for and against California in this state? Uh, that's a good reprise. I said this at the outset. Again, my prediction is probably the least important part of this presentation. Certainly, uh, I think the, uh, uh, the worth the least, uh, I, I hope you'll, you, you, you see it this way. Um, so, um, uh, I think Thomas and Gorsuch, who are always skeptical of dormant commerce clause claims are probably for California. Uh, I'd say Kagan and Sotomayor were very strongly um, uh, for California. Jackson, a smidge less so, but she was focused on um, you know, line drawing issues, I, I suppose. But I would, I would definitely put her uh, in, in the California camp. And then in decreasing order of California favorability, I get Barrett, then Kavanaugh, then Roberts, then Alito, who is least likely to be uh, for California. So I think it's going to be at least five, uh, as high as probably seven, something like that for California. But again, they could do something, you know, rewrite a standard, change, change stuff uh, around. That's just my you know, quick and dirty calculus here. Um, Michael Tenenbaum asks, uh, how likely is the course decision to turn on the magnitude of the costs effect, uh, the costs or effect that uh, Prop 12 imposes on out-of-state producers? Was there any discussion of how significant the burden on commerce would need to be or how it's measured? Yeah, this is inherent to pike balancing. Uh, how strong is the court's interest versus the burden that's, uh, that's imposed? Um, and... Um, you know, there was reference by, I think it was by the state, um, uh, to a disputing, uh, to an economist brief that was disputing the alleged costs to have to retool the operations. There was also mention of that this was potentially a 
pro-big business, anti-small business regulation in that, as with any regulations, the big guys can afford their compliance officers, and, and this could you know, deter smaller players. What, what, what effect that has on dormant commerce clause analysis, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Um, Anonymous asks, why are Gorsuch and Thomas skeptical of the dormant commerce clause? The answer is because, the short answer is because it's not explicit in the text of the Constitution. The slightly longer answer is that uh, they don't want to open things up to a broader conception of the the woke commerce clause. I don't know what the opposite of of dormant is. The awakened commerce clause, the the positive one, the the regular old one. And so they don't want to read broadly here, lest uh, Congress's uh, federal power be read broadly. Christian Townsend, uh, my former associate, uh, says, uh, thanks for the discussion. Based on the justices' questions, do you think this case will be decided more based on the original meaning of the Commerce Clause, or do you think the court will rely more on previous case law and tradition? It's a very good question. It's a very good question. Um, I think different justices might uh, base their votes on, on, on for different reasons. We could have, you know, even as I was counting out, uh, gaming out those votes, uh, that doesn't mean it's going to be a clean five, four, six, three, seven, two, whatever it is. You could have splintered uh, opinions on, on varying grounds with you know, Gorsuch and Thomas saying that, uh, you know, this is uh, at most the dormant commerce clause is an anti-discrimination provision. Um, uh, and this isn't uh, discriminating, you know, one state against another. Um, uh, while uh, Kagan and, and, and Sotomayor and, and Jackson say that it's, uh, um, you know, under pike balancing because we don't need to overturn pike balancing. Um, the, the interest is, is strong enough here. Uh, so, something, you know, who knows? Um, I think that there might be a mix. Carl Schneider asks, is the dormant, keep them coming folks. This is, this is great stuff. Um, Carl Schneider asks, is the dormant commerce clause doctrine itself in danger? I think not. I think not. I think there's, there's enough votes that when something is, is clearly, uh, a state barrier, um, you know, just, just favoring in-state producers, throwing up the equivalent of tariff barriers to all out-of-state producers. Uh, again, uh, that came up that if California had a uh, pork producing industry a, a, at all, um, then um, and they subjected their own producers to these kinds of regs, then it would be on stronger grounds for subjecting it to, to imports uh, as well. Uh, but it doesn't. I think it's only 0.2% of pork production um, in the country is is in California. So I don't think the doctrine itself is going to be read out, but I, I think uh, how it's applied or the standards are, are going to change. Um, Alan Charge uh, Charles asks, could this set the stage for future um, state environmental global warming objectives? For example, a California regulation that prohibits the sale of non-organic commodities. I think it could. I think it could. If this is upheld, then California could say uh, we uh, uh, no 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 produce that uh, has used uh, uh, pesticides can be sold here. I think that's no less of an interest um, than uh, an interest in the the space that 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 breeding sows have. Um, so I think that that. Uh, 
that certainly is uh, something that becomes possible if this is approved. Uh, Carolyn Cohen asks, relating to California offering abortions and gender operations for minors if other states outlaw it. Um, I don't think that is uh, implicated one way or another here because that's you know, regulating abortion or practice of medicine inside the state. Um, um, so yeah, I, I don't think that's that sort of thing is implicated. Um, unless again, it's one of these social regulations where, um, you know, we don't want something produced by workers who don't have ready access to abortion or where, where people don't have ready access to state paid, uh, uh, uh gender affirming surgery or, or something like that. Okay. Uh, Andrew yours, and then it's a uh, dot, dot, dot. It, uh, broke off the name asks, do you think the dormant commerce clause was the best theory upon which this case could have been brought? Um, well, it's the issue that the court took up. I suppose, I don't remember whether in the lower courts issues like the privileges and immunities clause was, um, litigated. Uh, but again, this isn't a pure anti-discrimination. Some states are tra treated differently than others or in-state interests are privileged type of case. So I think it, it, it does look like a pretty classic dormant commerce clause case. Um, Jeffrey, whoa, something again, cut off last name asks if your prediction about the outcome is generally correct, would you extend it to the likely effect on dormant commerce clause jurisprudence? Would it completely overturn the doctrine minimally cabinet or somewhere in between? It just depends on how they write the, um, how they write the opinion. Um, Kavanaugh, um, um, doesn't sound like he wants to, uh, change the Pike standard. Uh, I think if anything, I'd predict that he, he would rule against California under the existing Pike rules. Uh, uh, Kagan, we know has a strong view of stare decisis and doesn't like overturning precedent. You know, maybe that changes now with Rogan. I'm not sure, but, um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. This is up in the air, depending on how they write the opinion. If, if they just, you know, don't change the standard at all and just say this passes pike balancing, then it probably does um, limit the scope of the dormant commerce clause going forward. Douglas Meyer asks, did any justice seem to care that this jurisprudence would seem to be a way of letting Congress off the hook to do its job? Not in so many words. That of course was a major theme of the major questions doctrine cases last term. Uh, that if they let an agency assume awesome power without Congress being explicit, then uh, that doesn't force, uh, that lets Congress off the hook, doesn't make Congress accountable. Um, that could be a consideration, although, of course, the biggest proponent of the major question doctrine is Justice Gorsuch, who here um, is not a major, um, even if you look at his hydraulic forces language, uh, uh, in the Gundy case relating to the non-delegation doctrine. That's a bit of a deep cut, but um, anyway, I don't, I don't think it's going to come up that way. Uh, and the last question currently on the book, so if you have any, anything more, get it up there because we're going to conclude soon. The last question is uh, from Alan Ira something. Uh, other states like Massachusetts have proposed regulating this specific issue, but not the same way. And indeed, it did come up that Massachusetts and certain other states had certain state regulations, in-state regulations, this effect. Uh, 
Uh, how important is the issue, if at all, of potential conflicts between different states seeking to regulate this and other areas? Certainly, the Commerce Clause issues raised by the producers are exacerbated by the potential for a myriad of state regulatory schemes. Yes, you would think that this is precisely the issue that the Solicitor General's office was most concerned about, the disruption and balkanization of the national economic market. Um, I think if California wins, and again, depending on how precisely under what standard they write, um, uh, you could enable states to have uh, all sorts of differing standards, and then it's a race to the bottom or race to the top, or manufacturers, producers will consider whether a given market is worth uh, the cost of segregating uh, or changing operations, uh, uh, depending how easy that is in a given industry. It would certainly uh, introduce um, complications in terms of manufacture and, 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 and retailing. Anonymous asks, could California require all states to pay its minimum wage? I doubt the court would want that. Um, and that's, again, one of those string of hypotheticals, uh, you know, a moral sort of thing. We, we don't want this produced by anyone who uh, is paid less than minimum wage. Kind of goes to Kagan's hypothetical about slavery as well, right? Because it's kind of like, you know, the, the uh, I guess it's slavery, the, the maximum wage is, is zero in, in effect. Um, there's perhaps more of a moral interest regarding slavery than the minimum wage, but maybe not, uh, depending on how different states might feel about these issues. So I'm, I, I do think that, that uh, this would be uh, something that uh, the court would, uh, regardless of even if California wins, they would, it would want to have a rule that wouldn't allow something like that. Anonymous asks, what was USDA's major objection to the California law? Well, it wasn't the Department of Agriculture as such. It was the government as a whole that was appearing. I think that's an important uh, thing. The Department of Agriculture, I don't think, has independent litigation authority. It might. Someone's going to correct me on this. Um, I have seen cases that are USDA, but I think the Solicitor General uh, argues those. Um, so anyway, the, 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 the governments, the U S government's major objection was that this would uh, balkanize the national economic union, have 50 different types of regulation in a given, uh, industry, uh, or California would set the stage for everyone else. It, you know, it wants uh, the national government to regulate nationally. Uh, another anonymous says you noted California has very little pork production. What is their pork consumption? Uh, I think it's 13 or 15%. Um, one of those two. So it's 0.2% of the nation's production, something like 13 or 15% of its consumption report. That was the last question. So I'm going to filibuster here for a little while uh, while Jack composes his concluding thoughts going once, going twice. Thanks very much for allowing me to entertain and maybe even enlighten you. Um, uh, and uh, Jack, uh, take it away. Thanks so much, Ilya, for gamely taking on all questions today. And thank you to our audience for tuning in to today's event. You can check out our website, fedsock.org, or follow us on all the major social media platforms at FedSoc to stay up to date. And with that, we are adjourned. Thanks again, Ilya. Thank you for listening to this episode of Teleform, a podcast of the Federalist Society's practice groups. For more information about the Federalist Society, the practice groups, and to become a Federalist Society member, please visit our website at fedsoc.org.